Podcasting Network, home of the Dresden Files Podcast, 42 Entertainment, and many others. More podcasts like this one can be found at brokenjars.xyz. Hello everyone, this is the uh, third episode of High Fantasy, and we're gathered here today at early o'clock to talk about more High Fantasy, so uh, if I sound shitty this time, it's because I'm still tired and it's all Jacob's fault. I'm sorry, got things to do, (laughs) and you wanted to record today, or this weekend, (laughs) because you have other priorities other than this podcast, so... so Jacob is here and Colin, and he has a webcam, so people who are listening to a podcast with video can now see his face. And we're also joined by a guest, John, who was on the Dresden Files episode 23, which is the retrospective What If episode. So he is a traveling podcast now. So the, the segment that we instituted to promote productivity, what have us three, Colin and Jacob, done this past week? Uh, I've done about 10 to 15 pages, um, about hitting, I'm about to hit page 80 of my first draft for Corlex, so moving right along there. Uh, the last 50 pages have gone a lot faster than the first 30, so that's, that's nice. Uh, so yeah, I've actually been really productive in the last six days. Speak for yourself, I think I got like 500 words done. What'd you say, Colin? I'm not going to ask how he writes that much. He does it by hand, so his pages are different from our pages. Probably writing like five words a page. (laughs) No, I just, uh, you know, I, that's my lunch hour. I eat lunch and I write every day. Nice. So that's what I do at lunch at work. So people, I, people look at me funny at work because I'm in the cafeteria in the corner, just like writing all the, (laughs) it's also one reason I go, I eat my lunch late. So there's not a lot of people down there. Colin, what have you done? What did you accomplish? I got about 650 words on a new story that I decided to start. Yeah, that's that's a problem to keep starting stories instead of ever finishing them. Starting is so much more fun than finishing. Yeah, like finishing's hard. Full of the ideas. middle is uh, quite difficult. <laughs> yeah, once you get to the ending, the endings are fun to write sometimes, but then you've just got to power your way. Through. Did you have to get to the ending part, actually? Yeah. But then yeah. you got to, like, once you end, you have to go back and, you know, edit and rewrite and rewrite some more and re-edit. And so, yeah. I'm, I'm in the dumpster. <laughs> go back a week later, dig it back out. <laughs> and have excessive amounts of alcohol to get yourself through it. But we're not talking about alcohol consumption right now. We're talking about creative processes. Coffee consumption right now. <laughs> Amen. Yeah. So, last week... We were talking about world building and all the things that like you need to take care of in your world building and explain. So how do you actually come up with the original spin, the spark of an idea that makes you want to write the story, your, anything in your world building, your characters, your plot? How do you guys come up with that? Oh, is this my turn now? Yes. Sure. <laughs> oh, wonderful. So, um, Alex, as I told you back when I was on the Dresden podcast, um, my creative process is... A little wonky. Um, I've only recently started writing, but I've been playing Dungeons and Dragons and other role-playing games for almost a decade now. So it's really easy for me to just like, you know, whenever you move to a new city, it's re- it's really hard to get that 
that group of friends together to consistently play week after week after week, especially as, you know, people grow up, people become adults, people get busy. So I just play D&D with myself and build the world, throw a bunch of quests in, maybe put some NPCs in for, for flavor, and then trying to ignore what I've done, I make a character, and, you know, I kind of play through it as I would a Dungeons & Dragons game. Except rather than, you know, talking to myself for three hours, I write it down. Interesting. Yeah. It's really not that bad of an idea. Sometime when I was, like, 15, I was just writing really stupid, terrible shit. But I remembered I had a lot of fun once and having, like, this council of power people. There were, like, nine of them, and I applied each one of them to different alignments in the classic D&D sense, and I just kind of, like, tried to figure out what the hell they would do with the situation. And I had a lot of fun with it, even though I never, ever used it again. Yeah. I find, like, the rules in D&D just help facilitate story building, because that that's what you're doing, right? Like, as either 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 running a game or being a player in that game, you're essentially becoming part of a cooperative t storytelling process. And the end goal for D&D is to have fun and to create this sense of adventure for everyone involved, including the, the, the DM. So, like, when you're just doing it all by yourself, it's a little bit more work, but you can put it down on paper and share it with everyone else. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's a good thing. Yeah. I also have a nice little dial on my desk where um, I labeled it the intensity ometer. So however, so however stressed my character is, I get to turn the dial up, and of course I labeled it one to eleven. Of course, like okay. you do, like like any sane person would do. So so when I'm when I'm like coming up with these scenes, I'm just like, all right, put the dial meter where like right in front of my vision, turn it to where I need the dial to be at, and always like have that visual reminder of like how stressed my character and his allies are going to be during this scene. That's cool. Yeah, I um, might have to do that. Sort of like a, a totem for you to, to like, yeah. focus your writing. And then you just need to make reasons for why they're so stressed. But I do like the like tension monitoring that way. That's pretty cool. Because like, <laughs> like if, if you're like in the middle of a fight, you're going to be turning the stress dial up super high. It's going to be mm -hmm. a really tense fight and you know, you you don't want it to be like, you know, the level th like the level three characters versus the level one encounter where they just like literally step on some faces and walk through it, right? Right. That's yeah. not that's that might be entertaining in a hilarious way for a group of players, but it's not entertaining for somebody who's coming from outside and reading it. And so you have to find that nice balance because like, I'm I'm fortunate enough to have players, although we meet like once a month, which is not at all often enough. And so sometimes sometimes they get like a really easy challenge and I, you know, want to see how they're going to deal with it. And they just like turn it into a complete hilarious farce. And it's amazing. And other times I challenge them and it turns out to be like a really great storytelling experience. But be, it's the, the, the lack of stress in those encounters doesn't really add to a good storytelling experience for somebody who's coming from the outside. It works well because everyone in the group has been meshing together and knows how to tell a story together. Yeah, tension is uh, kind of like my favorite part of reading and writing. 
So one of the reasons I wrote so little is that the scene I was working on, not to mention the combat aspects I've already complained about, is that I'm actually showing off the characters. I'm showing out how badass they are, and not they're not stressed in any way, which just made it boring for me. She's not torturing them, so she's not having fun. Right. Exactly. Because she hates her characters. Just a little You're bit. Weird. You're weird. I love to hate them. Well, I mean, like, at some point, you, you, you have to realize, like, if, if you're giving them, like, consistently giving them scenes where they're just like, yeah, I'm so awesome, you're just like, well, am I really just going to circle jerk my character this hard? Like, <laughs> is, is it really that necessary for me to just be like, yeah, my character is this awesome? No, you're going you're gonna to tell the reader that through how they overcome the difficult challenges you put in front of them, not you're through... You're show the reader that, because show, not tell. Excuse me. <laughs> Excuse me for his making one wrong word happen. All right. It's important. <laughs> Show not tell. Correct. You can We're tell gonna... things sometimes. Sometimes, but not the big things. You don't tell that the character is badass by telling the reader. You show how badass they are, and the reader comes to their own conclusion, which is much more powerful. But... Line one, oh. book two, middle of a scene. I'm a badass. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna do it. Okay. I mean, I, I think Butcher could come up with, like, pull that off. So maybe you just need to be as good as Jim Butcher. So, how do you guys, how do, the other two, how do you guys come up with uh, your ideas, the spark of your story? Uh, you know, sometimes for me it's really random. Uh, I I wrote an entire short story based off a line from Friends. I was watching, we were watching Friends. And they said, we have Reservations at 8. And I'm like, man, that would be a really great title for a book, Reservations at 8. And so I wrote this entire you know, short story about this guy who's going on a, a date at 8. And so it's this entire you know, thing. So a lot of times for me, what I'll do is I'll just get like a nugget of an idea from something I've seen or just like thinking about. And then just I'll just write down like the first couple pages. Be like, oh, this works. And then kind of go from there. Like, I, I'm really random with how I do it. I don't, like, sit down like, all right, I'm going to make a story. It's just, like, whatever, like, spark of... Whenever I get a spark of inspiration, I just go with it instead of just letting it die. Hmm. I, I feel on? that... Get, keep going. If you have an opinion, okay. share your opinions. I was going to say, like, I, I, I feel that, too. Like, there have been so many times where it's just, like, oh, this is just a rehashing of XYZ or... This is just that story told in a different light, but that's that's not really the thing. Like you get that inspiration from somewhere, and then you put it through, you know, the the, the blender that is your mind in terms of you know content in, content out. Like I've gotten inspiration in my story from so many different places, but because it's all come, you know, into me, been processed there, and then coming out as like one cohesive thing it's not always apparent that, like, you know, oh, I stole that from here or I stole that from there or this is where, totally where I got that idea from. It's, like, this is my story and it incorporates, like, some different things from other places and definitely don't feel afraid to use something like that as inspiration, even if it's just, like, something as silly as a line from Friends. Right. Not to not to knock your story, Jake. No, no, it's, it was terrible, but... <laughs> <laughs> I fully admit it was terrible. But... Yeah. 
But once you have the idea, that little spark, you can start building around it, you know? So, like, I like to get at least a little bit started when I have an idea, even if it's just, like, something on the back of a napkin, you know, a couple sentences of how how the story would start. That gives It gives your brain a hook to, like, go back and, like, okay, well, I have this little nugget, and let's expand on it now that it's it's in place. I think it's really important to put things in place before you, like, to start expanding on the story. Mm. Yeah. Like, the entire, what I'm writing now was, Ryan was like, hey, we should write a book, and it should be about a space bounty hunter. That was it. And I'm like, okay, let's see how this goes. And then I started writing, like, the next day. And, you know, now I'm, I've written, before I restarted, you know, 20, 25,000 words, maybe. And now we're going forward, so into nice. a book so it, please, it can please start tell from me anywhere. his working name was boba fett <laughs> <laughs> no it's like i was like i call him corlex and so we just like i was like oh that that seems like a decent name so i just went from there and you know i was like well you know what a liter you know alliterative names you know like uh seem to work for stanley so they work for me so i called him cody and so we went from there nice i just like piling in ideas from everything I'm doing at once. So like one thing will be like that's a cool start for a story and then I do something else and I'm like that's a fun addition to it and I just throw in something else. So like the newest one I started, I was playing Witcher and I'm like, oh cool, vampires that aren't like stupid vampires that are out nowadays. <laughs> I'm like, I kind of want to do a story like that. And I'm in the Black Company. I'm like, I like small bands of people doing cool things. And then I was reading about the Holy Roman Empire, and I'm like, free cities are cool. <laughs> Literally, my ideas typically just tend to be a blender of what I'm doing and what sounds fun. And playing those off each other and seeing what you can come up with that's different than things you've read. But you're kind of always uh, focused on things that are around you at the time? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I uh, get a lot of uh, influence from whatever game I'm trying to play. So, like, I absolutely love Dragon Age Origins. Uh, I was basically doing nothing but playing that for an entire summer, and I got very hooked onto it. And I'm desperate to try to figure out how to write the same story uh, <laughs> in just a way that isn't copyright uh, infringing. <laughs> Change the setting. Do it. Do it in space. No. <laughs> <laughs> I really liked the aspects of the Darkspawn and the type of taint that was going around and, like, hurting the Earth in its own way and people and making people sick. And as a, I, I really liked the things like that and, like, the Grey Wardens being specific people that are meant to just fight the evil forces. And I, I, just, I really like things like that. And I have tried to sit down and come up with the world that I need for to for that story and to make it sound a bit different and I haven't been able to get it to ever sound right so I've tried to force the creation it hasn't really been working because I'm also trying to I want to make it like stick to the feel that I remember of Dragon Age Origins but also sound different and it's hard to balance that what you need to do is find another thing you're playing and take a part of that and shove it in the story that's what I do I don't, Once you I don't start stitching together Frankenstein stories, it, it becomes your own thing. 
You don't you don't call Mr. Frankenstein, you know, Joe plus <laughs> Alex plus Jacob plus Colin, right? You, you, you say he's Frankenstein. So make your own Frankenstein. Yeah, it wasn't. I think George R. R. Martin who said that if you pull f a little bit from everything, it's not like stealing; it's research. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. yeah. Well, you know what they say: good artists create and great artists steal. <laughs> <laughs> and the highest form of flattery is imitation. So sure. you know, I'm yeah. just flattering you. Seriously, stop suing me. <laughs> <laughs> or, you know, another thing you can do is, because uh, I've tried to do this with different stories, is re try to sort of retell a story from a minor character's point of view. Because you'll get an entirely new idea. That's what I tried to do with um, when I was writing my dystopian story. It's like, okay, because I just finished reading rereading 1984. I was like, you know, it'd be really interesting to see it from like, the people inside Big Brother see their story. Even though they're evil, they don't believe they're evil, but they are. So it'd be really interesting if I could actually create a story to where the reader comes to their own conclusion that these people are evil, even though you're never told they're evil. That sounds interesting. Hmm. So, like, I, I need to go back to it. I, I kind of dropped it a couple of years ago, but... The idea was that if you, that the entire story, you had the rebels or insurgents, whatever you want to call them, they were deemed as bad, but they were actually the good guys. And the entire story is from the point of view of a high-ranking you know, member of Big Brother. So, in... Yeah, I have dubbed this the Darth Vader story because <laughs> I vaguely remember saying that. So, uh... Yeah, writing it from like a Darth Vader type point of view would be really interesting. Mm -hmm. But not telling them it's Darth Vader until the yeah. end. Yeah. You never tell them. You yeah. you see if they come into and so it'd be it'd be a really interesting social experiment to see who thinks they were at the the main character was actually the bad guy. Because you know, good and bad is just a matter of perspective, right? You know, the stormtroopers are just doing their job trying to kill Luke. They don't they're not the bad guys in their mind. They're the good guys. It depends on perspective and like how you want to frame the evildoer, so to say. Like one of the resources I have for story creation is um and it's this is free on the internet for anyone who wants to go it, is if you Google um Dungeons and Dragons Tome of Awesome, it's this like huge like 350 page PDF where it's just like this is all of the changes to the 3.5 edition we wanted to make and it's got all of these great like ideas and world building processes and story building processes for you know dungeon masters and it's just like you know how evil do you want your evil dude to be because like he could literally be like you know be going around town killing puppies like on screen making you know the characters throw up or he could just like you know go to the bar after, you know, a day's work and, you know, share a drink with the, with the players because, you know, at the end of the day, evil people are people too. So it's, yeah, it's, it's all about a, that perspective. Evil is a hard thing to work with because, like, how do you have a villain and how do you actually show them to be evil? Is it that you need to show them being unrepentantly evil and kicking puppies? Is it that they're trying to kill everyone again? Or, like, what makes them personally evil? 
it, I don't know, it's a hard thing, and I'm really bad at making villains. So I just made my villains aliens. Mm. I mean, that's <laughs> fair. The, the way I like to do it is give them a motivation, give them a goal, just like the players. And then rather than having it be good versus evil, have it be players versus other players. Where... Yeah, and that does make them human, which is not what I intended to do with my aliens. Oh. Human <laughs> aliens? Oh, my God. <laughs> I mean, they have a goal, but the the human good guys, they don't know it for... Are they just from like, Mexico us, or something? Hmm? Are they just from like Mexico or something? A. <laughs> <laughs> <Hey. laughs> But but at the same time, like not knowing the goal of the of of whoever your opposition is, that that leads to a lot of this like this this inner questioning for the characters and just like why are they doing this? Like it it, it helps like the uh, the obscuring of the goal for the opposition of the protagonists, right? That that makes it really easy for you as a writer to think about how you want your character to process that, right? Because if, if it's just like literally like I could write a story about like, you know, two soccer teams opposing each other. If I write it from the perspective of one of the soccer players, I could say like, you know, they're like the opposition's goal is to win the game. But if and you know that's 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 pretty cut and dry. But if I like do it as as like, you know, two politicians up against each other and you don't know what the goals of the other politician are, suddenly you have to try and figure out what every action they do is getting, what, what goal their actions are getting them closer to. And it's very easy for a character to get that wrong, and when you get that wrong, it's hilarious. Because it causes problems. Because, and I mean, problems, problems are what everyone wants to read about. Exactly. You don't want to read about this guy who just goes around town, kicks stuff in the face, and then goes home. Like, that's not a great. That's not a great adventure. You want to struggle a little bit. You wanna. You want to invest in the characters. You can't really do that if they're just like you know walking around kicking people in the face. Yeah. So how do you? I mean, speaking of characters, how do you hmm. guys come up with, like, quirk or not? I don't want to say quirky because it's not what I'm going after. But how do you come after like unique characters, the ones that at least feel unique to you, the ones that you want to write about, the ones you want to stay. In the heads of for point of view and things like that. So does that, does anyone want else want to take this uh, first, or should I go? I would say I mean the the setting creates the uniqueness of the character, right? I mean because like Corlex, he's a bounty hunter in space, and so that changes things. And you can start building backstory to make him unique, but. I would say a lot of times it's uh, the character is a product of the story or the world you want to tell because, you know, um, you know, if you're writing a futuristic story, he may or may not have nanites in his blood. You know, that's just one of those unique things that you can just play with when you start building the story. So, I don't know, maybe, maybe it's – I just try to, like, add, like, little twists. Like, you don't have to create this – huge different thing you just you just tweak things and then all of a sudden it's a, a brand new character that no one's ever seen before yeah exactly like rather than having nanites you could have midichlorians right something whatever yeah just 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 anything right Game you george lucas <laughs> yeah midichlorians are kind of dumb I, i'm sorry as soon as i heard nanites i just like i have to do this <laughs> it's cool i'm very guilty of plot driven characters as well 
So the plot is driving the character instead of the, the other way around? creates the character. Yeah. So half the time I have to stop and be like, this character solely exists for the story to do this, and then I have to take a knife and like cut, cut him them. out of the story. Say, so the character's going to do this in the story, but who is that character? And that's not fun. Right, but you can also use the story, well, you know, backstory for the character, you know, because, I mean, I think that's important. At least I like that part of stories when the author's like, you know what, this thing happened to the character, which then informs his decision on the next thing. You know, because, yeah. I mean, like, Butcher does it. You don't really get it until really late in the series, but you, you get these little snippets about how, you know, Dresden had this terrible mentor who tried to turn him evil and that really changed who he was and it drove a lot of story elements at least for the first at least in the first book about how he had the doom on top of him and how and then later in proven guilty you know he has to come you know come to grips with the fact that sometimes the doom is good versus you know other things so I think I think it's a very interesting way to build a character is use his backstory, his her backstory in your story to inform decisions. Yeah, yeah. that helps to separate him from just feeling like a plot device. Is that you do build up something in the past that tells you why he's playing this role in the story and not just right. exist in the story. And this is it's an interesting issue when you have uh, villains that are doing something proactively because they have reasons to do so and then you have the main character protagonist that especially in like 20 30 years ago type fantasy they're going I don't want it and then they have to get pushed into doing the story thing so they're always at the mercy of the villains being proactive and they're just reacting to the plot and you know, how do you how do you break out of that it's how hard tough ones. I mean at least at least for the book that I'm writing right now like my character is 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 more of the like so so I kind of do character creation a little differently than you guys and by a little differently I mean backwards um, because I come from you know playing Dungeons and Dragons and that's my background in creative storytelling right I'm going to create the character and create the world completely separately from each other right I'm going to get out my character sheet I'm going to you know give them levels give them classes give them abilities you know write their backstory just be like said character cool. Then I'm going to like split off that part of my brain, make the world, everything around it as the DM, and then when those two finally come together in the creative, in the collaborative storytelling process, I get to be like, okay, I have this character, this character is interacting in this world. How do I make a story coagulate around that? It's, it's, coagulate. It's, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's definitely um, letting the characters create your plot. Yeah, pretty you much. Just take characters who exist and stick them through your world and let them... Do you plan your stories out ever, or do you just write what they're doing? So, as a DM, I improv far more than my players want me to, which leads to some great things and leads to some, you know, times where I actually have to, like, you know, stop... The, the session just be like okay what's next right because sometimes I run out of ideas right Every, everyone runs out of ideas but you know at, at least so so right now I, I've, I've started writing since you know March or something like that and 
because I haven't had much time to, like, you know, actually sit down and, like, write content for this story, I've been kind of doing a lot of, like, planning, and I won't actually, like, go into, like, the really nitty-gritty of what's going on. I'll just be like, okay, when, when I normally play a Dungeons & Dragons game, or when I normally run a Dungeons & Dragons game, I give the characters, like, I, I, I prepare in advance, like, why they're going to do this thing, and kind of, like, what the overall goal is. And then I just let them run free in the world. And I riff with them, and the back and forth leads to all of the interesting events that happens in the middle, the late beginning, and up to the end. And then when it gets to the end, I get to be like, okay, we get to do the fun little encounter, the, the, like the fun big bad evil guy encounter. And then we do that, and then I have to come up with a whole new story again. <laughs> uh, I love D&D. It's a great, great time. I love when your players don't actually follow your story properly. That's why I improv. Yeah. And, like, break your story sometimes. Yeah. But that yeah, creates its own story. It can, so, and then you can take all of these little strays, and then when you're writing the story, actually edit it down, because you can force your characters to do things, but maybe not your players. Yeah, right? And that's, that's the nice part of it. Like, I have... So, so my current playgroup, I have one person who this is his second campaign ever, and his first campa campaign ever was also with me, like, a couple months before this group started up, and it was, like, you know, three or four sessions, and then the group had to dissolve because of, you know, somebody had to take on extra shifts for work. Um, and then I've got another player who's just, like, I rail when I run the game, I railroad everything. And so he's not used to having this kind of freedom in the game that, you know, when I run it, it offers them. And then I've got another dude who's just like, me crunk, me drink, me smash. <laughs> I had a friend who was playing, uh, we were playing 40k D&D, and he was playing the Apothecary. But he was really, really bad at it and failed all his checks. So it was just like, what happens when you design things around having a doctor do things and the doctor always screws it up? Yeah, the story have just keeps derailing off of what you were planning on. And that's that's, that's, a a nice, fun. that's the nice thing about like the, the the collaborative storytelling process, right? Is it's not just like me and the players. The dice are also telling the story. And sometimes I can I can be like, oh man, this is gonna be great, like they're gonna get to this <laughs> thing and they're gonna do the stuff and then they're gonna move on, and then they fail miserably, and I'm like shit. Now I have to like write this, like, in the matter of like a minute or two, write this entire workaround for the obstacle that they just failed to get over. Now I kind of want to just start doing dice rolls for my characters to see if they actually do succeed or not. Do it! It's, it's, a, most it's mundane a great way, like, and, and you, can, you can use the dice to see how, 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 how like, how hard they win or how hard they lose, right? Because, like, if you roll a 10, you're just like, okay, you, you, you know, you moderately succeed, whatever. If you roll a 20, you're just like, yeah, I break all of the things, and, including the other dude's face. And if you roll a run, you're, one, you're just like, uh, where'd my sword go? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but with the storytelling in the novel form, because... You, you want that tension of struggle, like you were mentioning earlier. Yeah. Make, if you do have a character roll a 20, and they're badass and awesome, make sure it makes more problems. Yeah, they succeeded, but now they have other people trying to come after them or something like that. 
and because they always need more problems. Nothing should ever be easy. Exactly, and like that's that's the difficulty with taking something that like is inherently a collaborative storytelling event that is meant to tell the story of everyone involved and porting it so that anyone else can read it and enjoy it. Like there's that huge disconnect between the person who's running the game and the people who are playing the game because they're there, they're making the story. It's really easy for them with their conversation, with their interaction to make that story and have everyone enjoy it because they're there. But if, for somebody who's not there, they have to overcome like all of these barriers to entry, especially for the normal person who doesn't play D&D, which, you know, I, I, I'm not trying to, you know, write books for people who just play D&D. Like, that would be... That'd be kind of dumb. <laughs> I was going to say on the topic of characters who succeed too much, but um, in Mistborn, Sanderson does that very well with Kelsier, who is just like a natural 20 in everything he does for the whole book until he's not. And all of a sudden you realize that, oh, Kelsier's spoiler's dead. And the Lord Wait. Ruler suddenly becomes that much more scary to you. But even that, he planned it, so it's like even True. the 20 then. Like, spoilers. <laughs> but actually, you brought up an interesting point about um, Mistborn. I was trying to remember something that Sanderson said, like how he created the magic system, or why he created the magic system of Mistborn, in which characters often have the ability to manipulate metal, and they push it uh, to or away from their body. It always has to be from like where they are and their body. They can't like do this from there to there type of sideways motion, which is exactly what he saw done in the Star Wars prequels. I think uh, Darth Maul just did like a motion and something went from a side to side thing. He was like, but wait, vector physics should still apply to the Force. I mean, Vader, did that all <laughs> Vader did that all the time, too. Well, I remember Sanderson talking about like Darth Maul did something. and like the, not Vader. Yeah, I don't know, but like... He's saying, like, I know it's just the Force and weird me and Metachlorians, whatever, but it should still apply to physics. So he decided to make his version of it, which fixes the problem. He gets inspired and he needs to fix something that he saw. And so it's like he has the idea it has to go to and from the person's body in various ways. And it kind of leads to the ability to be able to fly if you can constantly have things to push off of. Because also, you know, mass and comparative forces and things like that. I don't know if I could do the Mistborn flying. Like, that just seems terrifying. Well, if you can control yourself. Get a degree yourself. in physics and you'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> but I do think that he uses the over-success of his characters to throw you curveballs later in the story. Yeah. Yeah, that's, he did do that really that's well. That's definitely a tool that other writers can use as well, because that's... That's like when you when you have the NPC, like the, the like the DM gives the party the NPC, and like you know you're working along with this NPC, and this NPC is really helpful, and you know helping the characters, and then all of a sudden you take away that crutch, and you're just like, okay, guys, stand on your own. Good luck. Right before you get to the final. Yeah. Boss. Yeah. Obi Wan dies. Woohoo! Pretty much. <laughs> George Lucas did it. Like if, if George Lucas did it, it's gotta be a good idea, right? Cough, midichlorians, cough. <laughs> yeah. Cough the entire prequels cough. I liked Darth Maul, alright? Let's just leave it at oh, that. Yeah, Darth Maul was good. But he should be should have stayed dead. Should've Darth Maul didn't stay dead? No, they bring him back in the comics or something. He got resurrected oh. somehow or something. Okay. 
Well, they, Honestly, the, the prequels wouldn't have been as bad as long as they just leave out Jar Jar Banks. Like, they leave out Jar Jar Banks, I'm super happy. I don't know the how accurate it is, but I've always heard the story that he was supposed to Be die. Oh. Die earlier in the movie when they get to the city, he goes over the waterfall because he can't force jump to land. Oh, they should have just mm-hmm. left that in. But see, I was I was just hoping that Disney would just be like Darth Jar Jar, and I'd be like, oh my god, this is amazing. Yeah, because <laughs> I was I've all seen for that. Conspiracy theories that Jar Jar was actually the big bad guy, and then everybody hated him, so they kind of phased him out. How could? And Jar Jar wouldn't even been that bad if he just spoke normally. Oh, Misha, don't God. know what you're talking about. <laughs> oh, God. Every okay. original idea Lucas gets. Yeah. yeah. Stop, right. stop with the Jar Jar, stop with the Star Wars, let's move on to something else. Uh, how many ideas do you guys have running in your head at once? Do you world build or story build or write two different stories at once or three or whatever? Um, Eight, at least. Yeah. <laughs> I try to I try to stay focused because if I don't, I'll never finish, and finishing is important to me. So I just I try really hard to keep all my ideas around one central story. I might be writing the second book in my head, but I'm still like in that universe, creating ideas, you know, new plot devices, things like that. Yeah, um, most of the time I want to stay focused on one story so I can finish it and like put all of my creative power into that one story, but sometimes it doesn't always work. Like, a couple years ago, I was trying to write the the floating city story, which I had a lot of fun with, but while I was working on it in the kitchen, or living room, I had a very small apartment. My husband was playing XCOM right next to me. Nice. And I was just kind of look up and watch it a little bit, and I was like, oh, that's kind of fun. And then I, I don't really remember how, but I had the entire idea for the story I'm currently working on in my head, and I had to write some of it down to be able to get it out. So I started writing, like, a got a piece of paper, and I started writing details of the main character, like what is really important to her, and what is she trying to do, what's the kind of emotional hits I want her to take, and tried to come up with ideas of the world enough that I could let it be, work on it later, and go back to the original story. And sometimes I have to do that. Like in that same summer, I also had a really, really vivid dream. And it would have been a really, really cool story. So I had to write it down as much as I could remember so I can work on it later. I started yeah. keeping a new a notebook, a specific notebook full of just random story ideas that I want to work on later. And sometimes they get paired up. Like I just I took a medieval Icelandic sagas class. It was tons of fun. And I started getting ideas for a Nordic-style story, so <laughs> I needed to like write things down, explain a little bit of what I wanted to do, and then there was like more and more ideas coming right after it, so I just kind of put them in the same chunk of the notebook, but every now and then I'll just flip, flip to a random page, write something down, and I keep it in a way that I can go back to it easily, but I don't need to work on it right now, so I can go back to what I was originally doing. And the wonderful thing about fantasy worlds is there's nothing that says you can't take those ideas and just shove them into the, the main story you're writing. It's like, oh, we're going to go to a new land now, or this is the the case, you know? The so city's now Nordic. Yeah. <laughs> and that's yeah. the other nice thing about, like, fantasy subcultures. Like, you don't necessarily have to have this long, in-depth explanation that makes sense to the reader for why all of these things are. You can just, like, kind of, like, sweep it under the rug of just, this is the world. Like, if you want to explore that and you have that creative idea you can certainly use that as a plot hook 
but it doesn't necessarily have to be there. It just has to, you know, not be like you're stepping from, you know, Lord of the Rings into, you know, a Star Wars Star Destroyer, and, you know, you, there has to be at least some continuity for the reader. Yeah, it does have to be continuity to reader, but some, also, like, you can just, this is the world, and it's weird, crazy fantasy things. Some people will never buy it. Like, my husband doesn't read fantasy, but I tried telling him about Stormlight Archive, a little bit, and I described that the way that that planet works is uh, there's these giant winds that come by regularly, and so everything, including the vegetation, had to evolve to be able to protect against the winds. So plants will shrivel up into rock things, like if grass came out of clamshells type things, and then they shrivel up into rock in, in order to survive the winds. And uh, imagine just you can't buy it, it's so stupid to him, he will never be able to enjoy that. So he, it, he gets annoyed every time I bring it up, but it's a type of really interesting world. Uh, yeah, it reminds yeah. me, this conversation reminds me of uh, a quote from the Comic-Con documentary. Uh, if you haven't watched it, it's really good. I think it's on Amazon, maybe Hulu, I don't know. Um, and you, one of the guys, the comic vendors, talk about how, you know, when you go to a place like this or if you're reading a book like this, we live in a world and we all have the same ideals that men can fly, Batman's parents got killed by the Joker. You know, we have this, sh a lot of people who read these type of books have a shared belief system that they will, they're willing to um, pull out of reality and be like, oh, well, this is interesting. So... They don't. You don't always have to be so grounded in a quote-unquote true reality. You do need consistency, but it can be crazy. Yeah, to a certain extent, it will be a different type of um, audience that you're looking for. Some people don't want to think too hardly about it, and other people want things to make sense and like harder science fiction, harder fantasy, I guess. And other people will just be like Nords next to. South Americans? That's so cool. Nothing wrong with that. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it's it interesting, especially if you go to the, the world building subreddit and people talk about uh the, the maps that they're trying to build. It's like, does this look okay? And they'll tell you, it's like, no, your tectonic plates don't make any sense, your rivers don't make any sense because they're trying to flow uphill and crazy things. If they're trying to do a more realistic type world, just a new one, <laughs> they will nitpick really, really hard. And it's a pretty good resource if you have something to show and can get critique from. Well, it's great that I don't go there because the, 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 the world that I have, my, 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 the, 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 the series of books that I'm writing right now, the, the world that that takes place on, is a literal flat world, right? It is a continent I mean, surrounded by water, work. and nobody has gone far enough out to know what's past there. But it's flat. It can work. I mean, yeah. like Discworld and stuff. It's just uh, if you don't establish that and you're saying that you're trying to make a, a realistic uh, geographical map, they will nitpick very hard. But, but, but the, yeah, that's the thing. It's just like for some definition of realistic, right? Yeah. It's, it's it's still going to be like, if if you're writing fantasy, it doesn't have to make sense. It just has to work with the story. If you want it to make sense, that's also great and can lead to some really interesting opportunities for that story down the road. But it doesn't have to make sense. Like, especially in fantasy, like you you can just like chalk everything up to divine power and move on to the story you want to tell, rather than the story that you know these nitpicky assholes want you to tell. 
Yeah, it's just a difference in um, audience and a little bit of genre. Like, I would not put Stormlight Archive anywhere near uh, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. So there's there's reasons for that genre difference and the people who want to read them. So how else do you guys come up with ideas? Do you guys ever use like plot generators? Oh, so um, here here's a point that I kind of wanted to make when you guys were talking about like um, you know only really having like one idea in your head and making sure you finish that. The way I kind of like come up with my ideas is just like. Have you, you guys have seen Hercules, right? Like the Disney animated version? Yeah. No. Oh. <laughs> okay. Well, at least, Al, at least Alex will know what I'm talking about, right? How have I seen it, but Jacob hasn't? What? I, it's just, uh, I missed that one somehow. Like, I haven't seen Hercules and I haven't seen Mulan. Okay, I've so, seen the rest, so. but... I know, I know. Mulan's worth when watching. He, when he goes down... When he goes down to the underworld to, to save his girlfriend or whatever, you see that, like, pool of swirling souls... Right? Mm -hmm. That's basically my head. And rather than, like, you know, have, have this, like, you know, nice, like, ducks in a row kind of story, I'm just like, well, something next needs to happen. Reach into pool, swirl hand around, grab something, pull it out. Well, I guess this is happening now. <laughs> yep, that's what I'm going to do with my notebook of ideas. But it kind of reminded me of something that's, I don't know how related. Uh, I've, Stephen Bruce, when he writes his stories, he does a very interesting type of structure. He does a lot of the epigraphs at the beginning of each chapter, but in the Vlad Tal Show series, they always seem to be changing based on different books. Each one of them has a, a unique theme for the epigraphs, which is great. But he doesn't always know what he's doing in any individual chapter. But like he has this point of creativity is that I need to make sure that the character does this exact thing, like looking out a window at some sort of sunny field or something. I need to make sure that the character does that. I don't know how I'm going to do it yet. And that kind of, like, as a, a type of structure to keep in mind for the storytelling for yourself, at the very least, is it's really fun and interesting, especially the way he does it, because he's an awesome writer. And Colin, you need to read his books. I have so many books on Backlog right now, it's not even funny. You're not alone there, bud. Don't worry about it. I'm not going to be reading any of these for the next, like, decade. It's okay. <laughs> you need to read Milazin, though, if you haven't. All right, it'll it'll get added to the backlog, and I'll read it's, it ten years from now. <laughs> it's a massive fantasy story that was built off of his D and D campaigns. Okay. Yeah, he did do it from the D and D thing, and then he yeah. he tried to sell it for ten years, and it finally took. But I know the story of how he got published, but yeah. there's a reason there's a it reason. took him ten years to get published, one. right? The first one in particular had its rough edges. I don't know why he didn't go back and just like rework it, but it's still there. It's I think when you're coming up with stories, it's important to have somebody who's going to be honest with you. Because yeah, beta readers. You're just like beta hey. readers, or just like you know, you text one of my friends like, "Hey, does this sound seem like a good idea for a story?" Or now that you know we have the writing and high fancy stuff on Slack, I'll like, "Wait, what about this?" And then, you know, people come back like, oh, that sounds really cool. Or, you know, it's good. This is when it's good to have good friends. They're like, no, this is really stupid. Don't buy, don't waste your time. You're like, okay, fine. So you can move on. Yes. Like moving it's, it's, on from a story idea is just as important as sticking to one. Yes. Exactly. And it's really nice to have, like, the, those people who are, like, close and comfortable to you enough that they can say, dude, the hell are you thinking? This is retarded. Like, 
like they, they will actually be honest with you just like this is this is terrible why would you do that versus like this is this is good keep doing this like most most like if 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 you just like put it out to i mean the the internet kind of has like that that anonymity shield which is nice so if you like if you wanted to like put your stuff out there for beta readers on the internet like chances are more often than not they're going to be honest because they have that shield of anonymity but if you're like interacting with people that you you, you kind of know in real life chances are they're just going to like stay lukewarm for the entire thing rather than give you like actual useful actionable feedback yeah you can which also why I was just like with internet people of the fact that like they don't want to offend you for whatever reason, so they're just like, yeah, that was nice, and they don't ever critique it. They don't show you the flaws that you have so you can fix it. Like, I get annoyed with that. There is a beta readers Reddit, so it might be a good thing to for people, a good resource for people. Mm. Yeah. I'm mostly trying to guilt my friends, cough, cough, to read my stuff and give me feedback. <laughs> yeah. See, I did that, and it worked, so... Yeah, fuck you and your thirty beta readers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can I have them? Can I can I dip into that? Um, not really. <laughs> All right, so so to to be fair, like of my like people, thirty people who promised me beta reading, they've all like I I make feedback for them easy, and this is like off topic rant. I make feedback for them easy. I you know whenever I submit like a new chunk of my work to them, I'm just like, here's a Google form, fill it out. Rather than just like give me whatever feedback thoughts you have, right? I, I give them a couple things on sliders. I give them a couple like you know, right on a scale of one to tens, and then I have really prompted questions to help them give me the feedback that I can use, rather than just have them like you know spit out a couple pages of whatever, whatever, whatever. Because it's not really fun for the beta readers if you're asking them to write like read this and then write me three pages on what sucks in it and what's good in it. Right? You don't want them to feel like beta reading is a work. You want them to feel like beta reading is something that they're going to enjoy and they're, you know, essentially giving you their thoughts on the on the creative process and helping you create the story that you're telling to them. And yeah. Her- uh, it kind of reminded me of something that Jim Butcher abides by a lot is that he likes to, to torture his characters, but he likes to torture his characters so he can torture his audience. So it's like he has the readers that now he's just kind of like, no, yeah, fall in love with this character. I'm going to mangle them horribly. And so he gets, you get more motivation to write things because of the audience, at least I find. And, um, the thing, I, the thing I definitely stole from Jim Butcher was the mini cliffhangers at the end of each chapter. Dude. Because I'm sending my chapters out one at a time to my beta readers. And I have gotten so many angry texts from my friends just being like, you need to write the next chapter. Now, so and I'm just like, you know, I've, I've got life, man. I've got, I'm going yeah. as fast as I can, you know. I actually have a funny story about that. I, when I was writing the Sky City story, I um, I ended at a certain point that was like a huge cliffhanger. Big bad things were happening, and I had to stop because school was getting too hard. And I sent it to my mom, and she read pretty much everything in like three days, I think. And then I got an angry text in the middle of class. You cannot stop there. You have to keep writing right now. And it was hilarious <laughs> did you ever to me. continue from that part? I did. I did write another a little bit. Um, and I think I texted her, and I don't know if she ever read it again. But she was, like, very upset that I <laughs> had to stop right then. And it was wonderful. But when that happens, that's when you know you're doing good, right? Because, like, they're investing themselves in the story. Your readers are putting themselves there. They're making 
you know, relationships happen between themselves and the characters, and they're, in, like, they're putting themselves in that story. And that's ultimately what you want in, in terms of a good work, is you want to have the readers invest themselves into it. So that way they feel the ups and the downs, and essentially you're taking them for an emotional roller coaster ride. Yes, yeah, and... It uh, deals with pacing and plot, too. Mm. Yes, but how do you make those emotional roller coasters? What I do is I have a character, I have something important to them, and I put that important thing in jeopardy. And I just figure out ways in the story to make that happen. And I have tons of fun with it. Oh, it's great, isn't it? Uh, Very horrible person. <laughs> okay. Do we have other ideas for, like, how do you come up with a spark of the story? That is, I'm calling it. Um, I mean, there's always, like, do something from your life. Like, there's always been this time where it's just like, oh, man, I had this crazy story or, like, this crazy thing happened to me last week or whatever. And so if you want to write, like, even if it's, like, that same premise in, like, this totally fantastical setting, that still can end up leading to an amazing story, right? Because everyone has those moments where you're just, like, something happens and you're just, like, I'm going to be telling this story to all of my friends verbally for the next, like, month. Everyone has those moments. Yeah, Turn that so... into a story. Make that, make that like, the, the initial spark of a story. I'm, I'm sure we can all remember at least one of them right now. Uh, I'm just uh, having a lot of fun imagining the Reservations at Eight story in space. Because <laughs> make it interesting by changing the setting, you know? Yeah. Good. yeah. I've got or, or, or tell the same story, but, but you know, change the setting. <laughs> or steal from your other stories, because uh, I definitely stole a piece from Reservations at Eight to use in Corlex. Yeah, you can cannibalize your own thought that way. Mm -hmm. I've cannibalized my past like D and D one shots, and there's like all of my past one shots would make amazing short stories. Which you know, since I've been running them in this world for the past like you know four years, I might just do that. Like, I might just like make a collection of short stories that that happens in this world, and just be like, all right, you know, this be this all happened. That they don't sound like chapters though, because Colin tried that, and I swear they were chapters, and he was writing a novel. <laughs> He keeps calling them short stories, but no, those are fucking chapters, dude. <laughs> I was going to say, I use those Roman short stories to just take random events and turn them into short stories. They're too connected. They're chapters. I mean, you... like When one side... directly influences another, it's a chapter. Side Jobs is a collection of short stories about non-Dresden people. And Dresden. And, and Dresden. Dresden. True. But they're still short stories. Yes, because they're not directly related to like the th happenings in specific books. Those are not causing things in books. They're just little one-off things. You were not doing one-offs. You were, you were writing chapters. Yeah. And so, last thought on like randomly coming up with ideas for story arcs. Go onto Wikipedia. Hit random. That article seems interesting. Read it. If not, hit random again until you find something that seems interesting. Yeah, also history in some ways. Like, I started reading, uh, I think, the Wikipedia page of Eleanor of Aquitaine. I was like, hey, that was fun. Maybe I should do a story about it. Um, and, like, also the medieval Icelandic sagas were great inspiration for that one thing I'm going to do at some point. Uh, but I think we're done for this episode. So it's time for Jacob and I, I guess, to plug all the other shit. Yes. Uh, 
We are part of the Broken Jars Podcasting Network. You can find us at Broken Jars at XYZ. We have the Dresden Files Podcast, which Alex is a part of. Uh-huh. Uh, we have Great Scott, which is a podcast about the show The Office, which I am a part of. We also have 42, uh, the 42 Podcast, which I'm a part of, which is, I guess if you want to say, like, the two originals are Dresden Files and 42, and then we've kind of, obviously, we have High Fantasy, uh, which is happening right now um shylock's gaming which is a gaming podcast we're about to pull in dangerous to go alone which is a nerd po- uh, nerd culture podcast so you're a one-stop shop for all your podcasting needs nerdy podcasting needs specifically. Uh, at broken jars pod on twitter at high underscore fantasy underscore on twitter uh, Broken Jars Broadcasting on Instagram, uh, especially if you like pictures of guinea pigs. There's plenty of those. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, come come see our stuff. It's, uh, you know, cool. It's cool, I think. I don't know. Yeah. We have fun doing and, it. And talk so. to us because we like interactions with fans because they make us feel warm and fuzzy inside. And we would like to thank uh, John for coming on the podcast today to... Yeah, you know, share his stuff. Uh, yeah, so no that, problem. You know, and it's you know, take what you can, right? There's, it's not in a lot of respects. Writing is all like most things. It's not how you do it; it's how well you do it. So, take what you can from us, steal what you can from us, put them into your own ideas, and write them down. And write them down. Mm-hmm. You know, if you and want then fill out the story. Oh, yeah. We're more than happy to talk to you about your stories. If you want to, you know, talk to us, I don't know why you don't want to talk to us, but you're listening to this podcast, so you value our opinions for some. I don't reason. think anyone values my opinions until I get published. That's just that's just my <laughs> right there. We're all trying. Yeah. yeah. All right. You know, learn how to use Amazon self-publishing. That really helps a lot. Get out there. You know. The best part about getting your work out there is people are going to tell you it sucks. And, you know, it's okay to, you know, scrape your knees and get a little bloody because you're better for it when you get back up. So that's my my advice for the day. Get out there, get broken so you can get back up and be better. Good shit, Jacob. Good shit. <laughs> so, all done? Goodbye? Yes. Bye-bye. Uh, thanks for coming out to High Fantasy, Colin. Everyone say bye. 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 Bye.